0: Welcome to the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, the story of Jezebel Delilah X, a self-professed, quirky, queer, black girl from South Central LA, and how literature and theatre saved her life. Jezebel Delilah X is a writer and performance artist and the co-manager of EverydayFeminism.com, one of the most popular feminist websites in the world. Her talk, which details her journey to understanding her community, was recorded on November 4, 2015, in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, on our website, and on Digital Commons.
1: you um, so I am so excited and I have all the nerves um, and I'm gonna treat this cup of water like my pacifier um, but if you all feel inspired to like send love and positive energy I will take it with an open heart and if you're down and you can sit maybe later with open thighs but <laughs> we can see if you like to talk first <laughs> um and, and that is my heads up, that I am a dirty, dirty perv. And I don't know how to repress it. And I don't want to, because liberation is sexy as fuck. <laughs> um, so I want to say thank you all so much, so much, so much for being here. There are some people in the audience that bought tickets for other people to come here. I really want to say thank you. Can we give some love for folks that, like, donated? I am so grateful. People that came from East Bay or other faraway places. (laughs) Yes. Some love for (laughs) y'all. People that plan to laugh at my jokes, no matter how corny they are. (laughs) Who are you? Yes. I love you guys the most. (laughs) Um, And then I have a few more questions. Who in here came into this room already knowing and claiming their beauty? Yes. Yes. Who came in here ready to claim it, to own it? to celebrate other people's beauty, yeah. mm-hmm. to leave this room, celebrate other people's beauty. Who in here is in the mood to celebrate my pink hot pants and side rows? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to give some trigger warnings first. Um, trigger warnings are talks of suicide, talks of homicide, talks of intimate partner violence, um, and depression and mental health stuff. So I really want you guys to take care of yourself. If you need to leave, it won't hurt my feelings at all. Um, I have two people in this room who are going to act as um, listeners. Um, That's Mika over there. Mika, throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Yes, and we have Amy Benson, Amy. So if you need someone to talk to if you're feeling like some hurt come up or some pain come up um, just tap them on the shoulder they'll come out and like love up on you you guys promised offer love ashe these are brilliant people all right so on the bart i decided to change the way that i was going to talk about this (laughs) based on a conversation i had with my mama and my daddy (laughs) who I love. Like, I want to start off and say that my mom and my daddy are like two of the most extraordinarily beautiful people that I know. I grew up in South Central LA and have a bunch of relatives that struggled my entire life financially. Um, And a father who supported his, used his paycheck to support my whole family. Um, My siblings, um, extended relatives, folks getting out of jail, people he didn't like. He would cuss them out and still share resources. Um, And I think that that was one of the most beautiful truths that my father ever offered me in my entire life. And my mom is someone who calls me on the phone every day and says, how's my sweet little fairy princess, mermaid, gangster for the revolution, queer, fat, femme, daughter? And I'm like, who the fuck has a mom that does that? (laughs) I love you. My mom calls my partners on their birthday and says happy birthday to them. She's like amazing and wonderful. And I am grateful for my parents so intensely. My parents are also two black people who grew up in a racist ass state and had to experience so much systemic oppression and violence their entire life. My father is a tall, dark skinned black man who grew up, he was raised, he was born in 1953, went through the Watts riots, went through several riots, had experiences of like walking down the street and having young white people in that area throw rocks at him and get arrested. by the police when he got angry and taken home. And this is the person who raised me. My father um, was a probation officer. He worked for the state. Um, He worked for the prison industrial complex my entire life. He brought that home with him. That's who raised me. My mom is a black woman in the United States with no college degree. She spends her whole life getting fired and training people to be her boss. That's who raised me. And so while there was a whole lot of love and a whole lot of generosity and a whole lot of tenderness and support, there were also a whole bunch of what? Y'all can use words. It starts with an L. Next word is an I. You might dump somebody if they do this to you. Yeah, you got- say it louder there we go lies all right so we're gonna talk a lot about lies lies the lies that were told and what it means to move past those lies um push past those lies specifically through an act of gratitude so let me tell you about the conversation that can you guys hear me like this there were all these lies and so my parents lied to me today when we talked on the phone I asked them I was like you know, I'm going to talk about um, bullying and healing and recovering from bullying and recovering from trauma, you know, and I'm just like really curious, what was it like to raise me and to watch me experience the kind of bullying that I experienced? Um, and the kind of bullying that I experienced was, I was the kid who got my ass kicked at school. Like, I was the after school special. I was the kid that had in the eighth grade um, a security officer follow me from class to class to keep me safe because other kids were throwing rocks at me um, or knocking me down to the ground and cutting my hair off or putting skin bleaching cream on me. I was terrified out of my mind for the vast majority of my childhood, you know? And, And I was going home, like, carrying this pain and this hurt and this fear and this trauma with me. And I was like, what was it like? It must have scared you. It must have hurt you so much. And, you know, my mom started the conversation by saying well, you know, Vanessa, you were always a different kind of child. And I was like, what? Wait, wait? that's not what I expected to hear. And she was like, you know, you were always just a little bit special. I always knew you were special. Special. (laughs) Even when you were born, you know, you didn't want to play with the other kids because you were scared of them. You had anxieties. And so you kicked it with adults. Um, I asked my father, and he said, You know, Vanessa, why are you focused on what happened then when you have such a beautiful life today and you've finally gone and you've created the life you wanted to live and you love the way you love and you have the community you want and you have the job you like, why are you so focused on the past? And my mom said, you know, baby... Yes, you were bullied, but you didn't want to fight. I kept trying to tell you to fight. I kept trying to tell you to stand up for yourself. I kept trying to tell you, you know, you don't let anybody punk you around. And I thought, God, why do black women have to fight all the time? Why did I as a little girl, like a little itty-bitty weird, I was a weird child, y'all. Like, I was like 10, 15, still trying to wear stickers in my hair and, like, put all the flowers and the rainbows. Like, I knew I was a fairy before I knew that black kids got to be a fairy. But why was the expectation of me to fight? And underneath all of that, there's this other thing that was happening with my parents um, that even now, like, hurts me, and I still hold so much compassion Today, all these years later, I'm 31, they're in their 50s and 60s. um, My mom, who does anti violence work and bully prevention work, still couldn't say, I didn't know how to protect you. I didn't know how to keep you safe. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Instead, baby, you didn't fight back and you were always weird. We gaslight ourselves in a lot of ways. Y'all know what gaslighting is? Any of you beautiful people that nodded, willing to explain what gaslighting is? Somebody, I'm going to do this a lot. I used to be a teacher. I don't want to be the center of attention the whole time. Who's courageous? Who in here is single? Raise your hand. That's it. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. Who's open to connection? Raise your hand. Who thinks brilliance is sexy? Raise your hand. (laughs) Who want to see somebody in this room be brilliant? (laughs) All right. So now let's try again. Anybody willing to explain what gaslighting is for me? Yes, Magnolia. Oh, hey. Mm-hmm. Um, where he was trying to make his uh his wife think he was she was crazy so she'd kill herself. So say the curtains were blue and he and she'd leave and he'd come back and he'd change the curtains red and she's like, weren't the curtains blue? And he's like, No, 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 they were always red. And um and we tell and people in relationships gaslight us by telling us things that aren't true. And so we believe them to be true and it's to our detriment. It cuts us down, it hurts us, it silences us, and it makes us think, it rewrites our own internal stories into something that works for them. Yes. So Y'all, yeah, so remember when I told you who thinks intel like brilliant is sexy? Oh my god, my brain is like that was amazing. Thank you, girl. Femme love. <laughs> Um, that's exactly what my mom just did and it wasn't intentional. It wasn't an abuse strategy. My mom doesn't want to hurt me My father doesn't want to hurt me. They want to see me do the best I can. They love me Intensely and passionately, like my parents sacrificed their entire lives. Like I grew up watching my parents walk around with shoes that were broken so that they can care for me and my siblings. My parents like owned their house and sold it so they can support me, my brother and my sister through college and medical stuff. These are people that love us. And yet they still told me a horrible lie. That really fucked me up emotionally. And it made me think about the way that we live in a culture that is so rooted in lies. Every day of our life, lies. You get on Facebook, lies. You watch that music video, lies. (laughs) I grew up believing um, that as a fat girl, as a fat child, I would never find anybody that loved me, that thought I was desirable, that thought I was sexy. Now I wanna hold on for a second and say, any of you grew up in the hood? Any of y'all seen fat adults in the hood? Any of y'all seen fat adults getting loved on in the hood? Romantic, sexy love. (laughs) What about where you grew up, had relatives, family members that were fat and that were fucking? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Why? Given that I saw this, I saw this literally witnessed women of size get loved, get boned. I watched porn (laughs) featuring thick people as a really little kid. Why did I? It was in my 20s before I actually believed that somebody would look at me and think that I was desirable based solely on the way that I looked. And even beyond that 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 meant something to me, that somebody wanting to have sex with me redeemed me in some way, validated me in some way. That's the messages that we're sent in this society all the time. Those are the ways that we're gaslighting. We all walk through the world constantly trying to assert our dignity, trying to assert our brilliance, trying to assert our creativity and our worth Supporting other people, and we constantly get these messages whether it's like the invisibilization of our bodies or our genders or our disability or our weight or our race we get these messages that we don't deserve the respect that we're asking for, that we don't deserve to be treated well, that we don't need to treat other people good. It's okay. When it's not. And I think when it comes to this thing about like writing and performing your beauty, it's breaking lies because the whole thing about beauty is a motherfucking lie. Am I right? Ashe. I so... Now that we know we're like breaking lies, I'm going to talk about like the main way that I try to break the lies that I've internalized. And that also came through what my father told me, which was, Vanessa, why are you so focused on your past when you have this beautiful life right now? Now, I have a lot of friends in this room. Raise your hand if you love me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've ever heard me say, I don't think anybody's going to love me. Raise your hand if you've heard me say that I think I'm going to end up alone. Raise your hand if you've heard me say that, like list all the reasons why I'm unlovable over and over again. One of these people was my partner at one point. (laughs) We tell ourselves these lies all the time. And in the process of telling ourselves these lies or internalizing these lies or breathing in these lies or sitting in the lies that we've heard, we forget some really critical, important shit. The beauty, the joy, the love, the gratitude that's right there for us, for our persons, even in the most difficult times. That gratitude for us is there all the time. (laughs) And it's hard to acknowledge that gratitude Because we're constantly inundated with the lies. So I'm going to start off with gratitudes. (laughs) And I'm going to continue to talk about gratitudes throughout this piece. Um, And the first people that I want to say thanks to are the Ohlone ancestors of this land. I want to say thank you to the Ohlone ancestors for fighting to retain their culture and retaining it for fighting to teach their children their ancestral language when colonization worked so hard to eradicate that language, for retaining their spirituality, for retaining their relationships, for loving each other when their children were being ripped out of their families and put in mission schools, for loving each other when they were being taken away from their homeland and crowded into these missions. Y'all know Mission San Francisco? You guys know what Mission San Francisco used to be? Anybody know? Y'all remember that thing about brilliance and sexiness? Anyone? Okay. Okay. That's all right. I can be the brilliant, sexy person. <laughs> um, but mission, the mission San Francisco and so many other missions that we've had, that we have in California, um, was when the Mexican government took over this land in this area and they created these missions ran by um, priests and nuns and missionaries, and all the indigenous people in California, not all, but most were forced into these missions to live there um, where people died from illness, from abuse, um, where people were forced into slavery, here where people were lynched. These people experienced some of the worst fucking shit ever. And they still exist. How many of you guys get to go to the sunrise ceremony um, up on the island? What's the island's name? Alcatraz. Who went this year? I did, it was beautiful, <laughs> it was beautiful. And I got access to this because of resilience. I give so much gratitude for resilience because resilience doesn't deny the oppression that we experience, it celebrates the ways that we've been able to survive that brilliance, to I mean that oppression. Resilience demonstrates just how genius we are even when we are experiencing the worst things even when we don't know where we're going to live even when we don't know where we're going to what we're going to eat even when we're scared that no one loves us so many of us still manage to exist still manage to share our beauty with other people still figure out strategies to do that and that's what I've learned for the Ohlone people and so I give them gratitude because they hear Because I'm here. I give gratitude to the Chinese and Japanese laborers who came here thinking they were going to have some resources and some opportunities because they were lied to via imperialism, who were forced to do slave labor, who were then kicked out of the country due to yellow peril, right? I give so much gratitude to those people who were put internment camps, in internment camps. Because you know what? Out of that, we've had some of the most amazing, phenomenal feminists of color that have existed and that have made radical change. Can we give a shout out to Yuri? What? For real, son? <laughs> beautiful things, beautiful literature, beautiful demonstrations of solidarity. Resilience resilience and and here's this other thing right um, and this is really important because part of gratitude part of being able to be grateful I think is about accountability recognizing our lens and recognizing our vision and what we understand um, a lot of us when we talk about gentrification You know, California is just this long, horrible history of gentrification. Um, But when a lot of Japanese people were taken out of the Bay Area, Oakland and San Francisco specifically, and put in internment camps, the government took their homes, and guess who they invited into their homes? Any of y'all know? My ancestors during World War II. That's where the vast majority of black people in California came during World War II, working for the military, working with the military, and unintentionally, (laughs) like I'm not in any way saying black people eradicated Asian people from their homes, because we didn't, the military did that shit, that was white supremacy, but white supremacy doesn't only benefit white people. And when we don't know about it, when we don't understand it, and when we don't think about it, it's so fucking easy to internalize those lies. So today, We live in a culture in the Bay Area where for some reason we have members of the black community and members of the Asian community who think we need to fight each other, who think that we are taking each other's resources, who thinks that we're a threat for each other. That comes from the lies that we've been told, that we need to believe in order for this fucking system to work. When we stop believing that shit, things change drastically. Very drastically. Um, and I want to keep going with this change because, of course, you know, there are a lot of freedom fighters in this room. There are a lot of radical artists. There are a lot of amazing, brilliant people who do really critical work. But I... Per- and I well, let, me not, let me not create a, a dichotomy, a juxtaposition, but rather... I want to say that it is my belief that alongside legislative work and alongside like financial change um, and economic justice, liberation, revolution is a spiritual thing. It's about our relationship with ourselves. It's about how we see ourselves. It's about our understanding of ourselves. And in order to really see ourselves, we got to be able to look past all the lies that we get fed nonstop every second of every day. And that, for me, is part of why it is so important to honor the people that died on this land and the people who lived because i know that if i went through k through 12 and let me be honest k through 12 then community college then undergrad then grad school and i didn't learn this shit until i got on a got online and started to read some shit motherfuckers been lying to me my whole life it's a lot of bullshit in here <laughs> that i need to heal from and liberate myself from so i can not spit in front of a crowd of beautiful people <laughs> or be okay with my spit, Um. (laughs) but so that I can love myself, like really love myself, and I don't mean superficial love, I don't mean like love actually, I don't want to pay $9 for this love on TV, (laughs) I don't want to just sit around and watch my so-called life and imagine that Wilson Cruz is going to get with me. And I know as much as I want to believe that when Drake talks about his appreciation for big bodied women, I don't want to get with him. Because <laughs> misogyny doesn't feel good on my skin. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that I'm a little bit too much for him anyway. Um, I'm talking about real love. The kind of love that's dangerous. kind of love that forces you to look at yourself forces you to maybe let go of some of those myths that you believe about yourself that help you survive living in an oppressed society that validates not fighting, that validates the fucked up treatment that we get. How many of us go to work every day at a job we don't like? You can raise your hand if you want. It's not gonna end up on YouTube or Twitter. (laughs) Um, as a st- as when I was a teacher, I-, I taught at a community college for about five years, um, and every semester, I would ask my students, why are you in this class? Why are you here? And they start off, oh, you know, um, I want to get a degree, and I want to get a good job, and I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Most people from college don't get good jobs. Um, but So let's go further. Why are you here? And then it all comes down to, I want to better myself. And my students are mostly students of color, poor and working class students of color. And I sit here and I think, you paying this university all your money so you can be better? What? <laughs> what, is it, what is it that we believe? What are we compulsively doing? Why are we participating in a system that doesn't even tell us the truth? That tells us we need to go through this system that silences us, that shuts off pieces of who we are, that shuts off our connection to society, to our family, to our heritage, to our beautiful, abundant selves, sit in a classroom with a teacher that don't even really respect us or like her job, believe me. A lot of teachers do not like their job (laughs) and don't recognize the humanity of their students. So that they can affirm us with a B or an A and tell us we suddenly better. No. No. We better ourselves by loving ourselves. We love ourselves by knowing ourselves. We know ourselves by unpacking the lies that we've been told our whole lives in creating room to see our beauty, we recognize our beauty through acts and practices of gratitude. Whew, gratitude, gratitude. So I'm going to um, take that and, and say I'm going to come back to gratitude. Um. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about why I want to talk about gratitude so much when it comes to art and when it comes to how we exist in the world and when it comes to reclaiming or recognizing or identifying our beauty. And I'm going to say that like having a practice of gratitude is really fucking hard. Any of you guys got a practice of gratitude? Was it easy for you? No, it's not (laughs) Um, So I'm somebody who suffers from mental illness Um, I I deal with trauma And I also deal with being a motherfucking artist And as most of y'all know Maybe either from your personal experiences Any artists in the room? Nice Um, Maybe you've dated an artist Anybody in here dated an artist? Black lesbian Jesus, bless your soul I understand I understand I, I, I immediately want to say I'm sorry and thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> or maybe you listen to as much Erica Badu as I do, but you know that we as artists are sensitive. Ashe. <laughs> and if you anything like me, you're also sensitive about everybody else's shit. <laughs> Which is why so many of us do the anti-oppression work that we do or create the art that we do or love people or take care of people or feel really hurt when the people we love and we care for don't care for us back or don't recognize our humanity and the way we want our humanity recognized we're sensitive about a whole lot of things and we love as artists We love, do you get what I mean when I say love? I mean love (laughs) so intensely, please don't ever let me get dumped again. That's how much we love. It's so beautiful. Um, But that intensity and that sensitivity paired with mental health and paired with trauma sometimes manifests itself as big, giant, uncontrollable, overwhelming emotional responses to everything. Everything. Somebody could be like, Vanessa, I bought you a lollipop. And I'm like, what? <laughs> me? <laughs> you mean you went to the store and you thought a lollipop and you thought about me and now you want to give it to me? You really love me? It's that big. <laughs> it's really that big. Um. And this passion, this intensity, these big emotions, they come down to the things that we're most sensitive about. For me, social justice, intimacy, relationships, partners, friendship, human connection, all the things that I wanted so desperately as a child. And I need you to understand just how big it is. You guys know who Jasmine Sullivan is? Kendrick Lamar? Adele? Taylor Swift? Anthony Hamilton? Drake, Janae Aiko, Eminem, Luther Vandross and his beautiful ancestor spirit. Just imagine these emotional ass people got together (laughs) to make this epic song (laughs) about love and pain and heartbreak and hope and joy and lust. That is really what it feels like in my brain all the time. 24, seven. Can you imagine being my lover? Imagine it. (laughs) (laughs) But imagine existing like this. Knowing what the world thinks about when it comes to women who have gigantic emotions. Knowing what people say about people who cry at the drop of a hat. Knowing what people say about black women who get angry sometimes. Imagine having these emotions and trying to move through the world in an oppressed body. Trying to love other people who are moving through the world in an oppressed body. It is hard A recent friend told me that I was probably one of the most chillest people they have ever met. I laughed my ass off. (laughs) Because that term ain't never been applied to me. (laughs) Except for when somebody was saying, baby, can you please chill out? Just sit down right there. It's okay. (laughs) I'm going to own that title. (laughs) Do you remember that video? a while ago, um, of a woman crying. It was a dating video. And she was crying about how much she loved cats. Some of you guys remember that, right? It was all over Facebook. Do you guys remember this other video about this young teenage boy who was crying about how mean everyone was to Britney Spears? Oh, great, good. Some of you guys remember that. Do you remember how everyone made fun of those people? How those videos showed up on, like, talk show hosts? Talk show hosts. On talk shows, um, almost everyone, like so many people posted it on Facebook. And I watched these videos and I read the comments and I'm like, those people are making fun of people like me. Videos of people who think the way that I think, And, and maybe I'm not crying over Britney Spears, but I cry over the fact that there are children who are being put in detention centers because the United States of, of, of America doesn't want to recognize their legality. That shit makes me cry. I cried when I saw that video of that little girl being slammed down by a grown ass police officer. I cried. I cry when one of my friends are angry at me, maybe because I've made a mistake or I feel unseen. Or I feel ashamed. I cry heavy and hard. I grew up crying because of the hurt that I had inside of me because of the lies that I was told and what the world told me when I cried. Man up, Vanessa. Stop being a crybaby, Vanessa. Go harder, Vanessa. Be strong, Vanessa. I need you to survive, Vanessa. Crying was how I survived. It helped me remember I had feelings. It helped me remember I had dignity. That I have a sense of right and wrong. That I have a sense of how people in the world deserve to be treated. That I have a sense of passion. And that's what we make fun of? That's what we laugh at? People who care? People who have big feelings, do you know what comes out of big feelings? Extraordinary art. Big feelings, we get visions about how the world can be, about how we can relate to each other, about how we can exist, about how we can create family. And we chastise people when they have those feelings, when they express themselves. Trust and believe that when you hear somebody talk about that high-maintenance woman or that really emotional person or that super intense kid or that person that's always over the top and always extreme, when you hear people say, oh, women can't be president because they're too emotional or they can't run a family because they're too emotional, they're talking about me. And they're talking about a whole lot of people like me, but it goes further. Because when people say, oh, she's so histronic, oh, she's so manic, oh, her emotions get in the way of everything, she's bipolar, they're also talking about me and women like me. Literally. These are the terms that are fucked up. Medical industrial complex that our media, that our culture under the guise of humor have assigned so many of us. These are the terms that have been used to validate the dismissal of our rage, of our opinions, of our voices, of our experiences, of our pain, of our ancestors of our frustration with the oppression we experience and the injustice that have been done to us both on a systemic level and in our families, and in our relationships, and in our friendships, and in our workplaces. These are terms used to validate and excuse the abuse and violence we experience in the world. Sandra Bland was killed But they blamed it on suicide and told us all the things that was wrong with her instead of focusing on what was done to her. I brought up that 15-year-old girl in South Carolina. We watched a video, many of us, a horrible video, a horrible video of a child experiencing horrible violence. And the only question that people had for her was what did she do? Kids need to behave. And you know this thing about internalized oppression, it's so covert. Because oftentimes, we talk about the machine or the institution or white people, but I guarantee you, I saw a whole lot of black people in my life that I love, that I care about, that I call relatives, saying the same damn thing about that little girl. I remember growing up and going to an all-black Christian school and seeing other kids who were my peers get the police called on them because they forged a signature. We are a part of the institution all the time sitting in this classroom right now we are a part of this institution all the time which is part of why gratitude is so critical and so important because to me it is the only tool the only tool that we have to combat the messages that were given to us because with gratitude we get to see the things that are rendered invisible as a result of hatred And as a result of the internalization of hatred, my abusive ex-partner was getting a doctorate in psychology when we were together, and she loved to diagnose me. I really like attention. I took the diagnosis because it was attention directed at me. But sometimes um, those diagnoses came in the midst of extreme violence, um sometimes those diagnoses were used to explain why I triggered her violence towards me. Sometimes those diagnoses were used to explain why we couldn't have a conversation about the violence I was experiencing because my thought process was suspect was not valid because I was quote-unquote crazy now my ex was another queer black woman a nerd a dork sweet sometimes she was not in a position of privilege to me when we talk about systemic forms of privilege she used to be my friend she's someone who did love me at a point in time, way before the violence began, she's someone who's experienced and who's internalized a lot of violence. That slipped out in that relationship. And it was through the dishonesty of the medicinal industrial complex. Of the academic industrial complex that she was a part of. It was through the dishonesty of internalized misogyny that says women can't have big emotions. It was through the, what's the word I'm using? Internalization? Was that what I said? saying? Let's just say that. It was, oh, dishonesty. There we go. It was through the dishonesty <laughs> of internalized racism that she thought she couldn't be my abuser. That she thought she couldn't practice forms of white supremacy on my person. That she thought she couldn't practice forms of patriarchy on my person. That she thought because of the racism she was experiencing at her institution, because of the economic injustice she experienced, because of the liberatory work that she was doing, That the harm she was causing to me was less valid. It was through the dishonesty of society that told her because I was a fat woman and because she was a very thin, very small woman that I could fight back. And because I wasn't fighting her back, I was consenting to violence and hence she was unabusive. No, not unabusive. Very abusive. It was through that form of dishonesty, that social gaslighting that we experience in every other part of our lives on a very systemic level that moves into the way that we create relationships with ourselves and each other that she got away with that. It was through that dishonesty that even after that relationship, and I talked to members of our community They could tell me, oh, no, 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 she's really shy, she's really quiet, you're very big, you're pretty aggressive, I can't believe that she would do that. Or that would tell me, she's so cute, she could have anybody she wants, why would she be controlling or possessive of you? Misogyny, internalized depression, it's a covert, sneaky, sneaky thing. And I think that's a part of like what this kind of liberation work we're doing, this form of gratitude that we're trying to practice, this recognition, this unpacking of the lies so we could see the ways that we've survived and grow from that and build from that and vision and believe and fantasize from that place. That's what we're fighting. And it's a hard thing to do when you are an oppressed person in the world. Can y'all believe I just got through two pages? (laughs) In the back, will you give me a heads up when I have like 15 minutes left to talk? (laughs) Thank you. Um, And that's the thing about systemic oppression. We drink it, we breathe it, we swim it every time we expose ourselves to the world. It is so entrenched in the politics of our existence that it contaminates our most intimate spheres. Just being, you know, like I said, I um, was a very sexual child, and I, like, had access to Cinemax and um, Showtime at six. And I stayed up late and waited until my parents went to sleep and turned my TV on really low and put a towel on top of my head so no one knew I was watching porn. (laughs) And I masturbated a lot. And <laughs> whenever I envisioned myself, I never saw my body. I didn't see my rolls. I wore them out for you guys. <laughs> I didn't think about my belly. I didn't think about my chin fat. I didn't think about my arms. I imagined what my body would look like when I was thin and desirable when I looked like the girls on the music videos that I watched. And I was judgmental as hell, because there were some thickies in those music videos. Country rap, y'all remember, what's his name? Girl, you looking good, won't you back that, what's his name, what's what's his, over here. Thank you. (laughs) Y'all remember that video? There were thick women in that video. My internalization of fat phobia allowed me to not only invisibilize those women, invisibilize the representation that I was looking for, but be a little disgusted. Honestly, to be ashamed of them and be ashamed of myself. Gratitude allows me to think back retroactively. And though that video was misogynist as hell, It allows me to be grateful for the fact that I got to see that. It allows me to remember that desire is not what white supremacy tells me desire is. And part of black love and part of resilience is the ways that we've combated that. With some thick ass women backing their ass up. (laughs) And that juvenile music video. And that gets to be a part of my feminism. That gets to be a part of my feminism because that's a part of my story and a part of my legacy and a part of how I heal that little girl that I was that was so desperate to believe that she could be beautiful. That was so desperate to believe that she could be desired. Y'all, I wanted to be in the spotlight my entire life. I'm not even going to deny it. I know society tells us to be humble and everything, but I do. Like, I want, I've always wanted to be on TV. And so um, in the eighth grade, I actually, like, did some theater work, and I ended up getting a, um, what are they called, an agent, a Hollywood agent. And do you guys remember this show, All of That? Because we all of that, my 90s babies in the house, right? Or people that were raising some 90s babies or maybe some youngsters that had some 90 baby siblings. <laughs> um, I auditioned for that movie, I mean that TV show. And I went up against this woman or this young girl at the time named Amanda Bynes. You guys know Amanda? She been in the media lately, doing and saying some interesting things, setting things on fire. Um, <laughs> And I don't blame her. Again, of course, I blame the fact that we live in a fucked-up-ass society that doesn't teach people to be whole, actualized people, that don't tell people that their emotions are valuable or their bodies are valuable. That's a result, and that's a consequence of the culture that we exist in. Um, But I did. I I went and I, um, not interviewed, but I auditioned next to her, and I went on about four auditions, and I got pretty far, And then when I didn't get it, I was devastated. You guys, I do not take rejection well um, in any way, form, or fashion. (laughs) Big emotions again. Um, I was devastated. And so I remember going to um, my agent, and I was like, why didn't I get it? My my character was so funny. They laughed at me, and they loved me, and it was, what do you mean? And she was like, you know, Vanessa— that's my name when it's not Jezebel. It's Vanessa, so that's just what I'm gonna say. <laughs> up here, <laughs> um, she said to me, "You know, Vanessa, um, you are so talented and you are so beauty, but you beautiful, but you're not a Beyonce, and you're not a Brandy. You're not a cute girl. Straight out, she was grown too." <laughs> But she wanted to be honest and, and in this culture of capitalism honesty is a lie um, but she told me you know she was like you're not a cute girl um, you're gonna get roles because you're talented and the roles you're gonna get are caricature roles y'all know what caricature roles are yeah she was like you're gonna be a caricature role and and that's that's it I'm sorry that's the world we live in and at that time I was like fuck you I'm smart I have a 4.0, and I I have problems with that now. Uh, We'll talk about that later, but that's what I said. Grown up Vanessa would say, no boo, that's the industry that you're contributing to. That's the industry that you're creating and you're validating. That's the industry that's telling lies to a whole lot of people. This is an industry that is killing people. You, right here. That was murderous, what you just told that little girl. Absolutely murderous. I was a suicidal child. That could have easily been a weapon that I used to validate not existing in this world and that woman so carelessly. Out of an urge to be honest about the industry felt okay doing that. I remember being in college, in community college, taking a dance class and there was this um, other young woman who wanted to be a dancer um, and she was just so excited about dancing and being in her body and I remember the teacher saying in front of everyone to her, you know, I'm just going to be honest to you about the industry. You don't have what it takes. This is an act of love. These are acts of love that kill us. That's a form of gaslighting. This is one of those times when we are having a violent act done to us, and then we're being told that it wasn't violent because it's loving, and that's just the way the world is. When again, this was a teacher. This was the world she was creating. She could have given that person opportunities to pursue her craft. She could have supported that person in figuring out how to fit into the world or better yet, how to create a dance studio or agency that celebrates all bodies and skills. That's what I love about being queer. We do that all the time. Am I right, queer people? We create our own shit. That's what I love about black nationalism. We create our own shit. That's what I love about people of color in the United States. What? What? What you mean we can't assume? Okay, that's cool. I got my own town right here. I'm gonna look at you weird when you come in too. <laughs> I love it. These are these acts of resilience that reminds us of dignity. That reminds us that we know our worth. And out of that awareness and that brilliance and that insight, we can create something different. Coming back to gratitude. Coming back. Um, now, going back to diagnoses, very, very many, many years ago, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, social anxiety, panic disorder. I've been in therapy since I was a child. I've never been diagnosed by bipolar disorder, but a good majority of my therapists since my childhood have recommended that I go see a psychiatrist because they believe that I'm bipolar. A lot of people talk to me about going to see a psychiatrist and getting on medication. Friends, family, lovers, employers, because I cry at work. (laughs) Facebook friends, when I write statuses about my mental and emotional health, send me long messages celebrating psychiatric medication. And I haven't done it yet. And this part of me, there's this one part of me that thinks this is something that I should do. This would improve the quality of my life. It would um, help me because my mental health does disrupt a lot of my life and my work and my relationships in a lot of ways. Um, But there is this other really intense thing that's getting in the way of me pursuing help from these Western institutions. I personally think these institutions play a significant role in why I have these disorders I Have. I feel like these institutions are what is in conflict with me living a happy, healthy, harmonious life and no one has been able to convince me any different because of Henrietta Lacks or the Tuskegee Syphilis experiment. Or because a court sentenced Lauren Hill to three months in jail, counseling, and threatened to remove her children because she said she was being oppressed, suppressed, and exploited by the media, government, and military. Was she lying? And they going to take her kids and tell her she need help? Is this anybody that's going to do anything good for me? I have a hard time going to see a psychiatrist and getting this medication because of what happened to me the first time I did go to therapy. And I'm going to tell you how I went to therapy. In the eighth grade, like I told you before, I was getting beat up really, really, really bad. Um, Jumped and uh, I had these three experiences that happened in a month. The first one was when I got held down in the locker room and they put a bunch of skin bleaching cream on me. The second was, I always wear braids as a kid, and I took my hair out of braids, and it was my first time that my classmates saw my hair out of braids, and my mom pressed it, and you guys know, like, if you wear your hair in braids a lot, it grows long, Um, and I thought I was cute, because I was, and (laughs) other kids thought I was cute, and that was strongly in conflict with the messages that those children had received about their own blackness and mine and my size and beauty, and I wasn't supposed to be cute. I wasn't supposed to have long, pretty hair, according to them, and so they jumped me and they cut it off. And then the third thing that happened, and this one is really, um, like, just trigger warning rape. Um, In this month, I was leaving, so I was sick. I was sick from my anxiety and my depression, and I was having um, ulcers. Um, and I was having migraines, and so I was leaving my class a lot um, because my class wasn't safe. And what was safe for me was the school library and the school nurses office. I spent a lot of time in the nurse's office, so I had left a class, and my school was on two separate blocks. You would go up these stairs, cross this cross over the street on a bridge, and go down the stairs. Went up the stairs, was on the bridge, and there was this other young man who was like, Vanessa, Vanessa, hey, come here. Suck my dick. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And I kept walking, and he got mad. And he was like, F you, you're ugly, B word, insult, insult, insult. And he kept coming after me. So I ran. And when I got to the stairs, he pushed me. I fell down and I was out of school for a couple of days I did not break my leg but I did have to walk with cast for about a month and I couldn't really walk with the cast because of like weight and stuff it was just really hard for my body to do it Um, and so I just stayed home sad for a very long period of time, and lonely, Um, and I listened to my family, in their frustration, find ways to blame me, Vanessa, if you lost weight, they would stop, Vanessa, if you dressed differently, they would stop, Vanessa, um, if you acted more normal, they would stop, my brother, Vanessa, you just want to attract attention to yourself, at this point, I was like very, I knew I was queer most of my life, and I was starting to talk to people about it, you know, Vanessa, just like, be quiet about this, they wouldn't beat you up, if, you weren't a lesbian like I kept hearing these messages and I kept hearing blame and I thought that I wasn't going to be able to escape I thought I wasn't going to be able to get away I thought this is what the rest of my life would look like and I didn't want to live like that I didn't want to exist in that world and so I did I like I tried to kill myself And when it didn't work, and I got angry, I decided I wanted to kill them. My father was a probation officer. There were guns at our house. One day I packed one of my dad's guns in my bag. I went to school, and I told my friends John and Melvin exactly what I had planned. Next time anyone said anything to me or caused me any harm, Whoever nearby was going down. John and Melvin, like the good young people they were, went and told the grown ups. <laughs> and I got called into the counselor's office before I could do anything, and I did have every intention to do something. The counselor's office called my parents, and I'm very fortunate that they didn't call the police. I do believe that they didn't call the police because I had class privilege in a neighborhood that was riddled with poverty, because I spoke the way that I spoke, because I had good grades. It was privilege that they didn't call the police. It wasn't because I was a good person. I mean, maybe parts of that, but it was privilege. And instead, they sent me to a therapist who sent me to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said two things. One part of my problem was that I was gay, and outed me to my mother. Two, everything could be healed through Jesus, and they were not talking about Black lesbian Jesus. <laughs> it might have been fun. <laughs> they were talking about something else. Um, and again, I had a wonderful mom, and so my mom, you know, told that therapist and was like, you know. It ain't none of your damn business whether Vanessa's gay or not. The only person who should be telling me about Vanessa's gayness is Vanessa. <laughs> so mind ya. <laughs> and I love my mom for that. But my mom seconded the therapist when it came to Jesus. And instead of getting the opportunity to get the help that I needed, I got a little bit more Jesus. Did not help. <laughs> Um, I felt no reason to trust the medical industrial complex. The medical industrial complex has not helped me in my life. Because of patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy that tells us that magic isn't real. That tells us that magic cannot come in the form of a fat, black, dark-skinned, queer, female body, and that people who believe in magic are crazy. And I think that those of us who believe in magic Those of us who think differently, who recognize the colors that are constantly being hidden from us, who hear those beautiful voices that have nothing to do with our ears, that have big emotions and compassion, are visionaries. These are people that can fantasize about the world we can exist in, the world we can live in, the ways that we can treat each other. It's when we center people like this, that people who don't deal with those things don't experience the oppressions and the traumas that they do experience. Because it hurts me and it hurts you. I suffer from xenophobia, regardless of my citizenship when I see people that I care about and love suffer from xenophobia, when I think about the ways that I am complicit in it, when I think about what it means to touch my Apple laptop, to stroke its keys, to think about the lives that have been lost so that I can have these resources, when I think about what it means to be pissed off about gentrification and who was gentrified before my people were gentrified, And before those people were gentrified. And before those people were gentrified. Though it might not clearly relate to me, it relates to me because remember, I'm an artist who was sensitive about my shit. And I love. And I'm not alone in that love. I'm not alone in that feeling of dignity being interrupted all of us, in our various privileges and oppressions, are experiencing from the, experiencing the violence of the oppression of the most marginalized people. All of us. It hurts us. It makes us sick. It tells us that we need to be a part of a culture that promotes so many lies. And that is the shit that we need to disrupt. If this system is so busy criminalizing my blackness that it can't recognize my beauty and magic, Or if it's too busy pathologizing my fatness so that it can't recognize my sexy lushness in side rows and pink booty shorts. If it is so busy fetishizing my queerness and my gender that it can't recognize my wisdom and my energetic insightfulness. Then this system sure as hell cannot cure me from the trauma that it caused. That it imposed on me. And I recognized that a long time ago and understood that the only person who can cure me is me. And that is consenting to unpack those lies and replace them with celebration so that I can see the love that exists alongside the oppressions that we've talked about. And so that I can do as much work as I can at every opportunity I get to disrupt those oppressions with love. And I ask you this, if magic isn't real, how do you treat a fairy princess mermaid gangster for the revolution? Where are my unicorns at? Raise your hand if you're a unicorn. I know it's some in here, It's a lot of queers. How are you gonna treat a unicorn if magic isn't real? Where are my dragons? Yes. How do you treat a dragon if magic isn't real? Now keep in mind, again, I am a fairy. I'm a delicate, sweet little fairy. That is my kink, and that is also my existence. (laughs) Who has a thing for dragons? (laughs) Now when you got a traumatized dragon and a traumatized fairy together, (laughs) dragons do what? oh yeah (laughs) and if we got a system that can't heal those fire breathing dragons that I love so damn much what happens to my wings I love you baby it ain't you (laughs) how do we exist in our magic how do we love each other How do we get the kind of love that we know we deserve? How do we recognize our beauty and our worth? If we have a system that is trying to tell us, let me heal you, and that's what we're dependent on when that system is what's creating the violence that we experience, how do you heal a person who has retained their indigenous spiritualities in that system, or a person who's worked to liberate themselves from oppressive socializations, or a person who's realized they could never fucking assimilate in the first place. In a system like ours that dedicates all of its energy to protecting the wealth and the privilege and the sensitivities of a few super rich white people at the expense of everyone else, including poor white people, The only way to do anything different in any form is to acknowledge that every single thing about this system is a what? Every single thing. When you were told how brilliant you were because you got that degree, they did what? Now, yes, you are brilliant. And yes, you might have worked really hard, but it's not that degree that made you brilliant. When they tell you how gorgeous you are because they like the way that dress fit on your body that you just spent $75 for, or if you're like me when you're having a bad day, a lot more than $75. Chose not to eat some food for a week instead. (laughs) it's a lie it's a whole lot of lies when they are constantly telling us that something is wrong with us and our and our job to heal and to survive is to take appeal to assimilate to our oppression and suppress our dignity and our rage and our specialness and that we deserve the oppression we experience and I want to say I know that what I am saying walks a fine line of ableism Because we do need to tell, a lot of us like are on medication that we really do need to survive. And I'm going to acknowledge that. And I believe in survival. But I believe that there are ways that we could survive that don't involve oppressing ourselves or anybody else. I believe that with my whole heart and soul. I believe that if we are brilliant enough to manufacture lies to validate the oppression we experience or the oppression that other people experience, we are just as brilliant to manufacture some truth, to manufacture some authenticity, to manufacture something very, very different. It should be a world that is rooted in recognizing what is great and expansive enough to accommodate us all for exactly who we are. That recognizes our magic and our genius. That recognizes the way we are all so dynamic. That our crazy is so necessary to sustain and recognize the magic of the world. Y'all, Taylor Swift... Now, I know I'm in here talking about like black love and queer love and feminism and all that good stuff, and I know I shouldn't be talking about Taylor Swift. <laughs> but the first time I ever heard "Teardrops on My Guitar," I was like, that white teenager knows. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> And as frustrated as I am, I am so grateful for Taylor Swift because I see this other person having this emotional experience that I have without all the systemic oppressions that I experience (laughs) to combat that and the intersectional identities. But she experiences it, and she's not the only one because there are so many people that are listening to her and loving her music because they see a part of themselves in her. Who wants to appease my curiosity and admit that I'm not the only one that hears a Taylor Swift song and sees parts of themselves in it? I love you three people that have raised your hand. (laughs) I'm so happy to know that I'm not alone. (laughs) I once dated a woman who had a child and she was like, you are not allowed to pay Taylor Swift around my child anymore. And I was so sad about that. (laughs) But I got to respect everyone. But in celebrating, not necessarily Taylor Swift, but the fact that I am able to resonate with her lyrics and honoring that and having some gratitude for that, I'm able to have some gratitude. I'm able to recognize the fact that I'm not as alone as I often feel. And that's part of the way systemic oppression and privilege works. It makes us think that we are alone in our frustration. Makes us feel like we are alone in our misery, and our suffering, and our pain that other people can't relate and other people don't know. And if we constantly think that we're alone and it's our fault, we never work together to disrupt it. If we're constantly judging ourselves for our emotions, we got room for somebody else's. This is how we participate in the system that is killing us. This is how we contribute to it. This is how we internalize it. I believe that if we were as truly happy, as self-actualized, as self-loving, as self-accepting as we like to say we are, and people with mental health issues were as minuscule a number as the system wants to tell us it is, we would not exist in a world that had capitalism. We would not exist in a world that has a military industrial complex. We wouldn't exist in a world with xenophobia or fat phobia or racism or ableism or ageism or homophobia or transphobia. Y'all, I can't remember all of the isms. But none of that would exist if the lies that they tell us to protect those systems were real. And it's because we believe in that shit. Because we allow it to show up in our families, spaces that we can control in our relationships, spaces that we can control in our classrooms, if we are teachers, spaces that we can control in a lot of ways that we perpetuate it. Because it shows up when we get angry. How many of you guys have gotten really angry at your partner? Yeah. And how many of you guys in your anger has said some shit to your partner that you do not believe to be true? But we live in a culture that tells us that's okay. That tells us we can't shift it or we can't control it or, you know, that validates a lot of the interpersonal violence that we share with each other. They don't call it violence. I used to have this boo, ooh, y'all, ooh. He was fine, he was so fine. I couldn't believe that he was mine for like two months. Um, but we fought. Oh, we fought. And I asked him one day, I was like, Baby, we fight a lot. Are we sh- are- should we really be together? And he said to me, We fight so much because we love each other. You loved me this much, we wouldn't fight. And something in my head was like, I don't sound right, boy. I don't want to be lonely. <laughs> and then I heard that song oh I can't remember her her name but you guys oh she's like she's British and she has like curly short curly hair yes Kareem Bailey Ray and she has this song y'all know the song I'm talking about like in the song she's like I wouldn't fight with you this much if I loved you if I didn't love you as much and I'm like lies that I have internalized and believe. (laughs) I talked to my father and I was like, you know, daddy, like, how do you feel about the way you used to talk to me? Like, And he said, Vanessa, I believe that you were not a child. Now I was a child. (laughs) So I was like, well, what do you mean I wasn't a child? And he was like, well, you were so smart and you were so opinionated and you were so stubborn that I felt like you could handle it. Again, lies that we use to validate the way we treat people. When we don't have to. When we don't have to treat people like that. But it's hard not to treat people like that because a lot of times we're being treated like that by the people we care about and the people that we love. And that's the experience that we've had. Those are the things that stand out. Those are the memories that we have. That is trauma. That is what we are talking about when we talk about trauma. I skipped stuff again, I got all excited. Okay, I'm gonna go back. (laughs) Um, Yes, so if we truly lived in a culture where we were happy, blah, 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 all the oppressions wouldn't exist. Okay, my entire life, People have been telling me, Vanessa, you are a creative genius. And it is my favorite thing to say now because it makes me feel good um, because I'm actually um, working on a lot of insecurities, and I'm sure I'm not the only person working on insecurities. So my favorite thing to say when anybody has anything to say that is critical whatsoever is to look at them and, like, bat my eyelashes and be like, but I'm a creative genius. (laughs) Makes me feel better about myself Um, But it is something that has been told my mom also used to tell me when I was a child that I would single-handedly cure racism Um, (laughs) You know people tell me on Facebook You know how to express everything that I feel in words or people tell me you help me feel like it's okay to be myself You help me feel like it's okay to be vulnerable People that I've dated have told me that they've fallen in love with my creativity, like that's what caught them, um, captured their attention. Those same people have also told me that I'm too extreme, too sensitive. I take up too much space with my emotions, that I'm too high maintenance, that I need to calm down and be chill, that I need to get balanced, that I need to change who I am so that I could exist better in our relationship in the world. And I keep thinking... Damn, son, you can't have one without the other. Um, Common had this song where he says some blank n word recognize the light, but they can't handle the glare. And I feel like we live in a world where we love our artists and we let our artists die. We love our artists and we let our artists die from addiction and from suicide because those artists create amazing things that help us feel things. But we don't care for how much those people feel. And we don't think about all the magic that might come from their trauma. And we don't think about the way that that art might be their own tool to heal themselves and to heal the people around them. We live in a world where we celebrate courageous people when they do acts of courage. But we're not okay when those people with that same sense of courage say things that make us uncomfortable or act out in ways that's inappropriate at all times. We don't think about systems for how to nurture them and how do we heal from each other, heal each other from trauma. We learn to suppress ourselves so that we don't be like those people that take up too much space or too extreme. Y'all, I don't want to suppress any part of myself. I'm tired of living in a world where I don't get to really know people until I've known them for three years because they suppress themselves. It's lonely out there. (laughs) I want to exist in a world and in a community and in a culture and in a society that recognizes a real G when they see one. Sipping on booze. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the house of booze. So we could collectively go to California. No. <laughs> that recognizes magic when they see magic and knows how to hold magic and creates containers for that magic, where that magic is honored and celebrated, where magical people can be saved to create and to love and to exist. And that doesn't mean we don't hold our magicians and our witches and our artists accountable when they fuck up, because y'all, I fuck up. But we think about ways to support them with them being who they are because when we don't support our artists or our visionaries or our creators, Like I said earlier, they die, they commit suicide, we get addicted, we end up in abusive relationships, our magic gets jaded and sour and evil, we become consumed with coldness and bitterness and capitalism. In our attempts to survive, we get so hurt and so angry and so exhausted that we lash out and we kill, y'all. There are a lot of geniuses out there whose genius is not recognized sitting in jail, Sitting in on the streets, in hospitals, lonely by themselves in their house, staring at a wall because they got agoraphobia because the world don't know how to treat them right. And we tell them, here boo boo, take this pill. We get online and we talk shit about people who carry guns into classrooms and kill people. A bunch of y'all raised your hand and said that you loved me. That was me. Those are people that have real reactions to the things that they experience in the world, real pain, real hurt, that need containers that we are all brilliant enough to create. If I can figure out how to buy a $150 um, which, Macaulay, what's this thing called? What do you, when I want to seduce someone? laundry. I've done it. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I have done it. I wanted to seduce someone that I didn't even seduce. <laughs> they never even seen it. <laughs> um, and if I can figure out how to do that and still balance my paycheck, I sure as hell can figure out another way to spend that money. That's going to help somebody, and that's going to make some change fighting. There are a lot of people living in unnecessary pain. There are a lot of people committing unnecessary acts of violence. There are a lot of people living on the edge, fighting not to go to dangerous extremes every day because they are not being told that it's okay for them to be who they are. Those are not the messages that I got. So my father, on the phone, asked me to think about... (laughs) why i'm so focused on the past and again like i talked about the past is so important because we're able to honor and recognize truth and resilience and survive but why don't i sit in my gratitude a little bit more for the community that i exist in and y'all i have to say being a queer person of color in the bay area is a beautiful thing It's a beautiful thing. I come from a background where I was told that I could not make art. Y'all, I was a theater major in LA. I got C's. I got C's and D's in my theater classes because my body couldn't do the things that my theater teachers told us to do. I live in a Bay Area community where I get to perform every week Because I live in a community of people that have done the work to liberate themselves, to see their own beauty, to see other beauties. So many times I sit and talk about how I think I'm going to be alone and how nobody's going to love me and I neglect to think about all the people that hold my hair when I cry. In my loneliness or when I feel like nobody understands me or gets me, I forget about Ty Cow, who used to pick me up from my house and hold me and feed me beer while I cried because I had yet another breakup. <laughs> because we're taught to only validate certain ideas of beauty, I've neglected to honor all the people who have told me, Vanessa, you have such beautiful black skin. Looking at you helps me love myself. Looking at you helps me love other people just because maybe that's someone who didn't want to have sex with me. And those are the people that we're taught to value. It was through moments of being able to be grateful and really sit and think about all the beautiful gifts that have bestowed upon me, like getting on the bus and some stranger smiling. And I know we in a society where we don't tell people they need to smile, but damn, does it not feel good to you when you are walking through the world and you're having a hard day and someone just smiles at you? for no reason, genuinely, or says, sis, I love those pink booty shorts. Those moments are the moments I need to remember when I get on the BART and somebody else asks me why rolls are hanging out of my dress. Those are the things that help foster our resilience. See, this act of gratitude when it comes to writing, when it comes to being an artist, a lot of people, a lot of people wanna tell me, oh, I'm not an artist, oh. But these, these are the little roadblocks to creation. Moments where you get to see something other than what is highlighted as important, or successful, or valuable, or necessary, or gorgeous, are sexy or smart, or brilliant, or intelligent. Those moments when we get to see something else and we assign beauty to it, regardless of what we've, we're fed, that's when we disrupt shit. When we recognize that we have the agency to create the kind of relationships that we want. That we get to choose whose opinions matter and whose doesn't, that we get to choose who we're giving our money to, what systems we're invested in, that we get to choose who we employ. You don't have to have a college, y'all. Can I tell y'all how many jobs I had that said you needed a college degree to do that I did not need any skills that I got from college? Can I tell you guys that when they hired me to be a teacher at a community college, I was technically not qualified. And then I went on Google and taught myself everything about grammar that I know. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I did not know what I was doing when I started teaching. But the lie of my degree told me that I was valid. It was the lie behind my degree that told me that when I went and tried to teach I um approached this woman and she said oh yes before she even knew anything about me she was just like she knew I was in a master's program and she was like oh yes our black girls need you that was a lie now yes they did need me (laughs) but she didn't know me she didn't know what I had to offer or what I believed it's when we disrupt those lies that we really, really, really give ourselves permission to have access to our magic and create something else. I had never in my life to, maybe recently, maybe, maybe recently, but I'll say definitely not within the last year, had I ever seen a fat fairy. Have any of you guys ever seen fat fairies other than me? I say. Ashe, Asha, how many of y'all have not seen a fat fairy? It's okay. That's a lie. That's a lie that tells us that we don't get to be our full magical glory. And those are the lies that keep us from seeing other people's full magical glory. So I do want to say that when it comes to writing and performing your beauty, It's about being open enough to see, and define, and determine what beauty is to you. Not anybody else's message. You. Give yourself a hand clap if you're gorgeous. (laughs) Thank you. All right, I'm gonna close it up and I'm gonna answer questions.
0: You've been listening to the podcast for the California Institute of Integral Studies. If you liked what you heard, find us and subscribe on iTunes or listen on our website, ciis.edu publicprograms.